Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by former Syracuse quarterback Don McPherson, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl Executive Director Greg McGarity, as well as Vapor Apparel President Jackson Burnett and Unify Senior Vice President Jay Hertwig. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest played quarterback at Syracuse from 1983 to 87. During his senior season, he guided the Orange to an undefeated season, including a tie against Auburn in the 1988 Sugar Bowl. That year, he won more than 18 National Player of the Year awards. I'm wondering if he's going to be able to name all 18, including the Maxwell Award as the nation's best player, the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback Award, the inaugural Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award, and was second in the Heisman Trophy voting. In 2008, he was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame. In 2013, Syracuse University retired his number nine jersey. Please welcome to the show a really good friend of mine, Don McPherson. Donnie, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Nick. Good to see you. Good to see the orange helmet behind you. Too. Of course. Of course. It's, it's always there. People, people uh, accuse me of putting you know helmets based on my guests in that spot. I guess that means I just have a lot of Syracuse guests because it's always there. <laughs> Well, Donnie, this is bowl season story. So let's kick it off with that. You got the opportunity to go on a couple completely different bowl trips when you were playing quarterback at Syracuse. Your first, you went to Michigan for the 1985 Cherry Bowl and the yep. other uh, to New Orleans for, for the 88 Sugar Bowl. Clearly two very different experiences. Back then, there obviously weren't as many bowl games as there are now. So they were both special in different ways. What did those experiences mean to you and your teammates? You know, the, the, the Cherry Bowl, we, we kind of have the distinction of playing in a bowl game that, that only only lasted two years, and we were the second and last Cherry Bowl ever. So, you know, for us as, as, as a team, that was a, a major accomplishment. Syracuse hadn't been to a bowl since the Independence Bowl in 79, so we felt like we, we got the, the program back and running again. And two years later, there we are. And, and the Cherry Bowl was kind of a – it was a kind of a reward. We all wanted to go to Hawaii for the Hawaii Bowl, and, and our athletic director, Jake Grouthamel, you know – Jake and Jake wanted, you know, Jake was like, they're going to go to the one that makes us the most money. And so we ended up in, in Pontiac, Michigan, six degrees below zero on game day. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We all wanted to be in Hawaii. But it was a reward for the team. And I, I think that's the great, great thing about it. And here we are two years later, um, potentially playing for a national championship. You know, back then it was, you know, driven by the polls. And um, Auburn was won the SEC. And, and we thought we were playing the best defense in the country. And, and played in a game that had so much more significance. Um, and, and it was a much more sobering, believe it or not, in New Orleans, a sobering experience for us uh, because it was so much on the line. Um, and not just like a bowl game where you get to go and celebrate a great season. We still felt like this was going to catapult us in the future. Well, you finished that season ranked fourth in the country, uh, kind of a foreign concept to, to Syracuse fans nowadays, although they're off to a great start. We'll talk about that later. But that, that Sugar Bowl capped off an undefeated season. It ended infamously in a 16-16 tie. Auburn kicked a field goal from the 13-yard line with four seconds left instead of going for the win, which outraged some Syracuse fans. Uh, Auburn fans didn't have the same view of the situation. What do you remember about the reaction of your fans versus the reaction of the Auburn fans at the end of the game as well as in the days following the game? You know, I, I can go back years after the game. I found and got to know a lot of the Auburn players. They were embarrassed. You know, and, and you made the point. You said it right. They kicked the field goal. They had an opportunity. Ironically, their kicker's name was Win Lyle. Uh, Win kicked the field goal to tie the game for Pat Dye. And the people in Syracuse had a field day with that. 
They, they had a contest to collect as many ties as they could and sent them down to Pat Dye, but down to Auburn uh, to kind of lambaste him and roast him. And I, I felt like the Auburn fans and the players were a little embarrassed uh, because here we were coming from the North, right? They were teasing us about being, you know, from the North and, you know, we might as well be coming from Canada. Do we play Canadian football and SEC's real football? And they had to kick a field goal in the last, in the waning seconds to tie the game. So, and, and on our side, we were, we were pissed. I mean, we were like in the locker room. I had never seen Coach Mack that angry after a game. He was always, hey, they're a good team. We're a good team. Um, and, and especially because, you know, we, we remained undefeated by going for two against West Virginia in our last game where we, we, we risked, you know, uh, losing the game to go for two and won the game. And so we felt like that's what you're supposed to do, right, in college football. And by the way, no, no overtime back then. So this was it kicked the field goal and just walked into the locker room afterwards. It was a, a, a stunning, a stunning feeling after the game. What do you believe makes the sport of college football so special and what role do bowl games play in that experience? Uh, you, you've, you've started talking about it already in, in a way. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old school guy. I, you know, I, I know that the chase for the national championship is something that everyone needs to have because we want to put a bow on the, on the season, but there are so many, I'm at Endicott college right now. In, in Beverly, Massachusetts, right? It's a school of, of, of 3,000 students and the football team is 6-0, just like Syracuse. These guys are walking. I just talked to a couple of guys. I'm like, you guys are getting a little cocky, right? You're 6-0? And, and I'm like, and the guy was like, no, nah, no, nah, nah. yeah, you can walk around campus. You know, stick your chest out. But I love college football. It's 18, 22-year-old young men. And there's so much great college football being played. And, and the, what I love about the bowl system is that those guys get a chance at the end of a great season or the end of a successful season to go enjoy yourselves, celebrate the season. You've been grinding since August and you get to go do this thing. That is, I think uh, the pageantry of, of college football, there's nothing like it. I, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm biased, uh, but the pageantry of college football uh, and the history and traditions that, that the bowl games came from uh, to me is, is better than I loved it when there was no national, no definitive national champion, because we got to argue about who the best team was, for eight months before we, you know, lined up again. And so, and I think the bowl game is going to give everyone a chance to say, hey, we were the champs of this and we were the champs of that. I love it. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously the playoff gets so much attention and it, and it has an important spot in the, in the world of college football. But, you know, let's face it, you know, four slots in the playoff, 12 slots. There, there's, there are a lot of teams that aren't going to get that opportunity very often. Going to bowl games is their, is their reward and it's really meaningful to them. And, you know, to that point, I mean, do you have any specific stories or memories that stand out from that Sugar Bowl trip? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe some you can't say on the show. There, there are a bunch that I can't <laughs> say. And that was the that was the beauty of it. I'll never forget the chief of police in New Orleans. And he said he, he, he showed us a map of the city, or at least he told us. He said, stay north of here or south of here and don't go here. He says, if you get outside this grid, we can't help you. Right? And I remember that feeling like this is a different world. And, 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 and then I, I think the thing that I remembered the most um, about the Sugar Bowl was that as much as we, as hard as we had worked to get there, Coach Mack knew, and Jake, who I mentioned, I thought that they knew that this was still a reward, even though we were playing for potentially. And the first three nights we were there, we had no curfew in New Orleans. And, and it was because they were like, all right, listen, we know we can't, can't keep these guys cooped up. We're now in one of the coolest cities in the country. First time a lot of these guys have been here, maybe the last, and and we and we had no and, and so there's where a lot of the great stories came from. Uh, but it was it was, I love the way that 
the Syracuse faithful, I still talk to people to this day who talk about that trip to New Orleans. Uh, people who live in Syracuse and I took my dad there and, and you know, just hear the stories that, of what it meant to the community, what it meant to families to be able to make that trip. And I still hear the great stories to this day. You mentioned Coach Mack. You played for him. He he was a great friend of both of us. And I was just on campus this week. And he always pops into my mind when I'm on campus. I, I miss him. What was yes. it like playing for him? What kind of coach was he? You know, I, there, there are a dozen stories that I can tell, like, off the top of my head. that will tell you about the man he was and, and more than a dozen. In fact, I just sent a, a, a clip uh, to his grandson, Mackie, um, who's still on campus, the other, just a couple of days ago. Because I saw this clip of Mack talking about how he pronounces his name versus my name and Garrett McPherson who played at BC and, and a little clip that I sent him. He was just such a colorful guy is an understatement. And I can tell you about his generosity, great stories of him taking me to see some guy whose wife had just died. And, and, and I thought, wow, we drove all this way. And the guy kicked us out like in five minutes. And Matt got back in the car and said, that was great. We just made that guy's day. He really needed a, a, a little bit of, as he would always say, love him up. But one of my favorite things about Coach Mack is I got the older Coach Mack at the sort of the tail end of his college career. He played a little bit of time with the Patriots. And there's a, a clip that in, in one of the videos of our that undefeated season where he says, when you're a young coach, you think it's 90% you, 10% the kids. When you get a little older, you think maybe it's 50-50. He said that when you get wiser, you realize it's 90% the kids and you're lucky if you're 10. And I got that guy. And he, you know, he's, he, they tagged it with saying, you just get them ready, and you let the talents flow, and you let them fly. And that's what he's always saying to me as a player. And I got that guy. It was so much fun playing for him because he had all this wisdom, but he also knew that his job was to get out of the way. Um, and that took some time between he and I. We clashed a lot, right? Um, uh, and it, it didn't help that we both had the same last name and people thought we were, you know, we thought we were related until they saw us on TV. <laughs> well, he was he was known for his little sayings. I'm I'm going to start one. I'm going to have see if you can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, be Christmas every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard anyone use that saying before or after him. He but he owned it for sure. Oh, God bless America and all the ships at sea. I mean, that would take us a long time to figure out what is he talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, we, we were talking about bowl games. Uh, Syracuse reached six wins last week. Big one over NC State. It's been a while since they've been 6-0, and uh, 35 years to be exact. I think your senior year. Yes. Um, it's certainly a long way to go. Did you get a chance to watch the game? What are your impressions of this year's team? You know, I, I, I watched um, every game. I was at the Wagner game, which I had never seen the mercy rule in college football. They went to 10-minute quarters in the second half. Um, and so it really wasn't really, really learned much in that game. You know, this team, I'll say a couple things about them. One is that they've gotten lucky a couple of times. Um, they got lucky against Purdue with some late penalties that, that gave, gave Purdue a short side of the field, gave Syracuse a short side of the field in the final seconds. Um, but they've taken advantage of every time they've gotten lucky. And, 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 I, and I even said to some of the players, I, I think what I like about them the most is they're showing some cohesion really quick. Without a preseason in college football, it's hard. And nowadays with, with the, the draft, uh, excuse me, the, the transfer portal, uh, it's hard to get cohesion. And so they, they do have a really good team. They seem to really play well. And I tell you the one thing that, that is similar to the team that, that I played on 35 years ago, they don't care what people think about them. And, if they, and I even said it to a couple of guys on, on their podcast. Said, if you all thought what people cared about you or thought about you, you'd be one in five, right? And, and so they don't care what people think of them. And, and they are, you know, they've got a, a great running back in, in 
uh, and Sean Tucker, but he's having a very average year. He's not lighting it up like as he has um, in, in, in last year. And and Garrett Garrett Trader, I think a quarterback is. I mean, he he was seventeen of seventeen. I know it was Wagner, but still, that's hard to do on air. And um, so he's he's really developed. So I they're they're getting better. As I just said about this team here at Endicott, right? They're getting a little cocky, and that's a good thing in college football, right? You have to have a little swagger to you. So far, they're showing it. Well, last last question, last topic, Donnie. Um, you know, your football career was over a long time ago. So, you know, <laughs> let's talk about what you've been doing since. Because I think, personally, as impressive as your football career was, I believe that your best and certainly your most important work has come after you retired from playing the game. You you went on to work with Northeastern Center for the Study of Sport and Society uh, before becoming the executive director of the Sports Leadership Institute at Adelphi. Um, you're a social activist. You founded several outreach and mentoring programs. You speak regularly at college campuses as a, I'm, I'm going to, you're going to do a better job than me, but you, you speak as a critic of gender roles and talk about mm-hmm. how they contribute to domestic violence. You've uh, appeared on Oprah and various news programs on, on, uh, as an expert on this subject. Tell us about all the great work you've done in this area and where your passion and motivation to do this kind of work comes from. Yeah, it, you know, it, it really has been an interesting journey because when I retired in 1994, I went to Northeastern, as you mentioned, thinking I was going to be doing work around racism and sport with Richard Labchick, the, the great social justice uh, icon in, in that space, and learned about the issue of men's violence against women and masculinity. And what's interesting about where my work is now, that was 28 years ago. And so that work has evolved and it's become, you know, between Me Too and so many other things that have, that have transpired over the last several years. It's become a more popular conversation on college campuses. Now we have mandates from the NCAA, work that I did um, years ago with, 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 the, with the NCAA on raising awareness. And one of the things that I'm really focused on for all these years, it's been about engaging men, but it's only been about engaging men primarily about asking men to do things to protect women, asking men to do things to prevent violence against women. And I, I always say that we don't do that in sports. If we want you know, we don't coach in football to not lose or to win by a point. We coach excellence in the sport. So you continue to grow. You continue to get better. We do the same thing in the classrooms. We teach. We don't teach to not fail or to pass by 66. We teach excellence in the academic discipline. And for so long, we've been talking to men about masculinity and men's violence against women, saying, don't fail. Don't commit these acts. And what I'm trying to, to, to move towards and introduce what I call aspirational masculinity. Not do I, what do I want men to get rid of? That's the toxic masculinity. I'm rejecting this term, toxic masculinity. It's problematic, it's unhelpful. What I want for young men is aspirational masculinity. What do I want for you? I want you to have healthy, loving, caring relationships. I want you to live in awe of yourself as a young man, to be authentic, whole, and evolving. And so my work has really evolved. So I'm talking to men, not about what I want men to do to prevent violence against women, that's baked into it. But what do I want men to do for themselves and for each other as athletes, as fraternity guys? How do we help each other live excellent lives? That's such important stuff, Donnie. It's so impressive. Like I said, I mean, forget about all your football accomplishments, the impact you're having on the world through your work. I, I, I love it. Uh, you know, even though we don't see each other often enough, Donnie, I, I always value your thoughts and opinions. You're the guy I can go to. Uh, I feel to have difficult conversations about difficult topics and, and be able to learn from it and not be judged and, and, and worry about what I say and be open to what I hear. So uh, really proud to call you my friend, Donnie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and really thanks for all the great work you do. My pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Always great to see you. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. 
Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials, from eco-friendly lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers. Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is brought to you by Tap It. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. We now welcome to the show the executive director of the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Greg McGarity. Greg, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. Greg, if correct me if I'm wrong, this is your second Tax Slayer Gator Bowl coming up as executive director. Okay. Uh, your first one uh, probably didn't go exactly how you drew it up. It was quite a challenge. You had to juggle COVID affected uh, one of your original teams you invited. You had to find another team to come in and take on Wake Forest. You pulled it off somehow. You got Rutgers to play in last year's contest. What was that whole sequence of events like, and how did you pull it off? Well, it kind of reminded me of my days as an athletic director where you had to pivot from so many issues that uh, were unexpected. But luckily, we had great relationships with the Big Ten, with Kevin Warren and with the ACC and Jim Phillips and – Ty Haltham with the NCAA that helped kind of put it together. But a lot of credit has to go to one of my peers, Jim McVay, who had received a call from Illinois about wanting to fill the spot that Texas A&M had vacated. So that kind of got things started as far as uh, an avalanche of teams that wanted to replace A&M. But, uh, and that was the Monday before Christmas. So a lot of things had to happen and, uh, you know, we, we were able to have a team on that Friday before uh, it was a great Christmas Eve, but luckily Rutgers filled that spot. We had a great game and uh, certainly it made the ACC happy because, you know, they lost four other games last year and were able to place Wake Forest here. And so really it all worked out. We really were very lucky, but uh, I can't stress enough about how relationships and uh, communication had really helped that whole process. Well, clearly that's the case, and you, and you certainly have plenty of those. You, you, you have 43 years under your belt working at Georgia and Florida, including athletic director for the Bulldogs for 10 years. You, you've, well, until last year, you thought you saw it all, but now, now maybe you have seen it all. Tell us how your career has helped mold you into an effective executive director today. Well, I think the big thing I mentioned earlier is being able, being able to pivot very quickly. Uh, it's a little bit slower than it would be in the athletic director world uh, because you're dealing with a smaller staff and less events and things but you know it just stresses the importance of relationships that you have to maintain those relationships you have to work on them and you don't always have to wait on somebody to call you maybe take the initiative and call someone and just check up on them but I think just being honest uh, we were honest throughout the process with with Rutgers and the Big Ten throughout that whole process so I guess probably the biggest thing is trying to be a good listener. I think so many times people forget about that ability to listen and let people know that what you're saying is important. So I think all those things that helped in an athletic career. But uh, again, I hearken back to relationships and all the good things that are uh, evident in college athletics now. But, you know, it's just uh, uh, being a good listener, being a good people person and and really hiring good staff members. Um, and so we're fortunate to have a, uh, a staff that's very well-trained and has been at this helm for a long time under Rick Cabot's leadership. And so stepped into a great situation. 
The Gator Bowl has obviously been around a long time. In fact, the first Gator Bowl was in 1946. It's, it's the sixth oldest bowl game. What is it about this game that has allowed it to stand the test of time? Well, I think it's so important to the community. And oddly enough, Wake Forest was in that first game back in 46. And so came full circle to where they were here in our uh, in our game this, uh, this past year. But, you know, the importance of, of relationships with the city council, the mayor's office, ASM management, and, and really a lot with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've helped us so much. Uh, people like, their, you know, the owner, Shad Khan, and Mark Lamping, and Chad Johnson, they have all worked together and, and really we're all pulling together. Uh, there are no silos, things along those lines. And that's really helped us, but the city values the importance of the game. They know the economic impact of the game, but probably more so they view the community impact as far as our charities efforts. They view that um, as, as an important part. So we're just very lucky to have a, a, a deep bench in our committee members and our volunteers and, and again, it, it takes a lot of cooperation from the, from the government and city and local uh, individuals that are totally invested in our efforts. Well, you would certainly know you've been a part of this market forever with the Georgia-Florida game and, and have a lot of connections because of that. We talk about, you know, on this show, we talk about the importance that bowl games have to their community, right? They're important to so many people, meaningful to so many people, right? The institutions that play in the game, the student-athletes. But, but, but the community involvement, what does the commitment by the city mean for the Gator Bowl and what has its presence meant to the community? Well, it helps us stay alive. Uh, if we have dark days, they're there to help us. Uh, and, and Nick, we kind of looked at uh, uh, economic impact. We know what it is uh, when we're playing the game, but you know, we were looking down the barrel of, of, of going dark last year and what that would have meant to the two uh, to the two hotels that host the teams, to the local vendors, uh, buses, uh, airlines, the airport, everything. It would have really, it would not have been good. It would not have been a positive thing for, for our community. So um, the value that we bring to the table, I think, is very much appreciated. That's why we've uh, been at it over 75 years now. And consistency and I, I, I want to again brag on uh, Rick Catlett, who done such a great job in setting this up and has uh, certainly set the table for a lot of success here. Uh, two parts to this last question, Greg. We, we, we obviously like to talk to people about their, their stories, their memories, their experiences in bowl games, right? So I think for all of us, we grew up college football fans. Right. So I'm sure you have a set of memories growing up as a kid, watching games, the emotion yeah. you had when it was bowl season. Uh, but then in your professional career, you were involved in so many games uh, as a uh, working for the University of Florida and as athletic director at Georgia. So tell me about those kind of two different sets of experiences with bowl games. Well, you know, I've, uh, people have asked, what's the uh, your best bowl memory of all? And I would say the 2017 Rose Bowl would be at the top of the list with everything that was riding on the game. And, you know, just the lure, Georgia had not participated in the Rose Bowl since 46. And so for Kirby to take the team out there in 2017 and uh, kudos to Kevin Ash and his staff, they certainly made a memorable experience for a lot of Georgia fans, obviously, because Georgia won the game uh, against a great Oklahoma team. But that is uh, sort of at the top of the list. And the, the lure of Pasadena and the Rose Bowl. And, you know, it was really magical. And to win the game the way it all uh, turned out was was certainly the best memory. But, you know, I go back to um, 
the first bowl game I really helped coordinate at UGA was back in 81 in the Sugar Bowl. And Mickey Holmes was the executive director. And uh, a few years later, it was the Cotton Bowl. And you're dealing with Jim Haas Brock. Um, you're dealing with people like Bernie back at uh, El Paso back in 85 in the Sun Bowl. I mean, we looked upon these leaders, Steve Earhart, you know, Chuck Rowe. I could go down a list. Rick Catlett, I mentioned him, Paul Houlihan, you know, Gary Stokan. These, these, these are bowl legends that you're, ma- that you're they really mentioning. Are. Yeah. And when you're growing up in that environment, you, you really look up to these individuals and see how much they had done to make sure that everything, every detail was taken care of. They were in the trenches at all times and they were just so accessible. So those are the things that I remember is having a heck of a lot of fun uh, in certain cities with certain members of, of these groups here, uh, these men that I just mentioned. But I certainly remember those as, as very fond memories. And as a person coming up through the business to, to see what an impact they had made on their community and to the teams, uh, when I was able to, to, to try to fill Rick's shoes there, I knew what it was like and what those individuals had done to kind of make people feel special. So hopefully I've learned a lot from really some unbelievable mentors in the bowl business and just feel very lucky to be in this position. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. Thanks for that, Greg. And, and thanks for joining us really. I, I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to say if last year's uh, Gator bowl was one, a your one, a game, this is your one B game. Uh, it's going to be your first work. I'm convinced right. we're going to be back to normal this year, Greg, I promise. We're, we're looking forward to a, a regular game here and uh, a lot of great things here in Jacksonville. So thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck this season. Okay. Thank you. Our next guests together form a great partnership with bowl season focused around our exciting bowl bound shirt program, which we will talk to them about. We welcome to the show vapor elemental wear president, Jackson Burnett and unify senior vice president of commercialization, Jay Hertwig Jackson, Jay, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. You. Jay, let's start with you. Uh, you went to Georgia. They got a pretty yes, good sir. football team right now. I think <laughs> everybody thinks, uh, you know what a big deal it is to get to a bowl game right now. Now they won the national championship last year. They're in that mix. Not every team is so fortunate to be in that position. Even Georgia in certain years doesn't mean they're, they're, uh, not good football teams. It, it's just uh, college football is really competitive when you were a student. What was the feeling like when you knew Georgia was heading to a bowl game and, and you were trying to figure out what that destination was going to be? And well, it, it's always exciting uh, as a student, a fan, and, he, and he, you know, a player that uh, you know you're going to a bowl game because you know you had a decent – at least you had a decent season. Uh, I say beyond that, you know, that people really get excited about, uh, as you refer to, where you're going, especially uh, if it's a Florida Bowl uh, that time of year, you're either planning a trip with your friends or uh, you're planning a trip with your family. And, uh, you know, beyond that, for the players, it, it becomes all about the gear. Uh, because I'm, I'm going to show you some vintage stuff here, what my children consider vintage. And this is some of the gear from the uh, 89 Peach Bowl. And if you remember, wow. Nick, that is when the Syracuse Orangemen did uh, beat the Georgia Bulldogs. I remember uh, that very well. I got, uh, I got the helmet to go right for behind two. me. Yes. <laughs> but polos, sweatshirts, jackets, you name it. It's all about the gear. And I think that is really what Jackson and I are really excited about. 
for the business that we're in and the message that we are trying to uh, communicate to, to the fans, students, and even the players uh, about sustainability. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, Jackson, your your alma mater knows a thing or two about football as well. How many Clemson bowl games have you seen over the years? Well, I, you know, um, we were talking about this podcast and, and I, uh, a few weeks ago, and I thought about it. And I really, I really don't know. Um, I can tell you growing up, I, I did not really go to many bowl games. It was more, it was, um, you know, it, 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 it just kind of bowl season. It, it's holiday, it's family, it's on the TV. And so, so we didn't really do much traveling, but my first Gator bowl was a freshman in, in college, went to the uh, 89 uh, Gator bowl. Clemson played West Virginia, a buddy of mine, his dad was actually the, president of the Gator Bowl at the time so we had access to to coaches interviews and conferences and just like I mean my, my first experience at a bowl game was just just insane uh, and we won that we beat a major Harris uh, West Virginia team that was really good we were we were not expected to win and um, and then I had a nice little run of going to bowl games until we ran into the buzzsaw of Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison in the 96 Gator Bowl when your alma mater took us to the woodshed 41 nothing. So um, so from then I, I did a lot of peach bowls, you know, growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, going to Atlanta over the holidays and and uh, it was always tied into going to see uh, live music and shooting over to the to the dome to see a, a peace bowl game. It just uh, always a good time. So we've talked about Syracuse beating Georgia in the Peach Bowl and Clemson in the Gator Bowl. Now, now last year and in recent years, that would have been a blasphemous thought. At least it's a reasonable thought this year with Syracuse being six and zero and, and, and having a pretty good year so far. Uh, you talk about tradition, holiday tradition. Bowl season is just a, a unbelievable tradition. People watching games with their families over the holidays. We started a new tradition here at bowl season by providing bowl bound shirts to the teams in the locker room last year after they got their sixth win and became bowl eligible. As we all know, that's a big celebration. They, they know they're going to a bowl game. They just don't know which, which game yet. This year, we've taken that to another level with the help of a tremendous partnership with both Unify and Vapor. This year's shirts are made from Reprieve, which is a fabric made from recycled water bottles. So Jay, Unify makes Reprieve. Tell us about the process of making a fabric out of recycled water bottles. How does, how do you even do that? Sure. You know, you know, we are super excited at, at Unify. We're, we are celebrating recycling over 30 billion bottles and we are well on our way to recycling over 50 billion bottles by the year 2025. And so you know, we've been fortunate to work with Jackson and his team uh, from from the start uh, as far as how does this bottle become uh, one of these bowl bound shirts? And it's, and it's a pretty simple process. It starts with you uh, at home. When you choose to put this bottle in your recycling container, it's going to put it in a uh, in a stream that allows us to capture that material. We're going to take this bottle, put it through a process that will take the label and the cap off. It will chop it up. It will wash this material. We'll convert the uh, bottle flake into resin. From there, we'll extrude that into yarn and fiber. That yarn and fiber will go to the textile fabric producer. Uh, they'll, make they'll make fabric out of that, that fiber. And then Jackson and his team will turn that fabric into cool bowl bound t-shirts. So, so Jackson, take us to the next step. Vapor takes this material, as Jay says, makes these shirts from it. 
You also have a, a full line of apparel, not just the bull bound gear, obviously, uh, primarily geared towards the outdoors. Tell us about Vapor's primary mission and goals as a company. Yeah, you know, it, it's just the extension of what Jay talked about. Um, and, and I am, um, you know, alumni from Unify and Reprieve. And, um, you know, Unify has been doing this for, for decades. Um, when I was in sales many, many years ago at Unify, I was on the, in, um, you know, knocking on doors in the garment, stri- garment district in New York, trying to, before it was even branded Reprieve, selling <laughs> recycled fiber, right? Um, and you know, now th- this morning I got up this morning, I put on my, my, my joggers, my, my base layer, my quarter zip and, and, you know, went out exercise in this beautiful Charleston crisp, uh, morning, um, you know, and now I'm wearing my, you know, f- seven water bottle t-shirt. And, uh, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's really, um, as a company, we're focused on the modern outdoor and, and how does that, you know, coincide with college football? Well, you know, college football is, is season change. It's uh, getting outdoors, it's tailgating, uh, it's travel. So we're very much in, in, um, you know, the um, lifestyle side of the outdoor market. And, And we focus on sustainability um, on our, in our brand, uh, it's hard to do across every product that we do, but it's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, it keeping water bottles out of landfills and the waterways, I I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. That is not a, a, an argument you're going to win. If, if you say, well, let's not recycle and make recycled clothing. Yep. No, No doubt about it. Jackson, let's stick with you. We've We've had 16 teams get their sixth win in the past two weeks and are, and are now bowl bombers. Look at it's next few weeks are going to really start getting excited, exciting. We're going to see a lot more teams. How gratifying is it for you, given what you said, to see these student athletes wearing your shirts, celebrating a really meaningful achievement? Well, it, it's interesting. This is our first year being partnered with with uh, bowl season and, and the bowl bound program. And and um, again, we've worked with Reprieve for years and, and and have a great relationship. But I've never watched college football through this lens. Um, I was I was actually uh, talking with a friend the other day, and and you know I've got fifty years of useless knowledge of of college football. And we're like, oh my god. I'm actually using this. <laughs> so, so, you know, but, but to sit here and, and we as a team prep all week for what teams are getting ready to be bowl bound and when they're bowl bound, you know, how are we going to engage with, with the student athletes and, and they're excited and, and to really see their excitement. Cause I never really paid attention as closely as I am now. And, and now you know, we're giving them, uh, you know, reprieve uh, performance garments with the bowl bound and they're proud of it. And, and now it's a platform for them to celebrate their achievements. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're really what two weekends into bowl bound teams and just the excitement so far is, uh, is really far beyond what I expected. And I, I, I truly believe that as we, we get into this and a lot of these teams that, that uh, don't make bowls every year. It's the excitement's just going to build. So, what what a great program you guys have put together, and just really happy to be a part of it. Yeah, well, well, thanks for your role in it. Now, so all these years, you're saying people, 
in your life might've thought you were neglecting other duties by watching college football, but you were just doing research and preparing for this. You, you, you had the foresight to know that. 50 years of research. Absolutely. Um, it was funny. Uh, uh, some of the, um, uh, members of our team, they've never really watched football before. And I was like, okay, guys, you, you got it. We're all in this year. And uh, I've had um, one of our, our mar digital marketing manager, she watched her first game ever from start to finish a couple weeks ago. And uh, let's see, it was the, um, what was the shootout? I think it was Kansas came up short against um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, but all, all good football games. Well, I, you know, and you never, when you, when you, when you're onto something good, it, it inevitably leads to more things, you know, Jackson, obviously, you know, this, cause I, I shared it with you yesterday uh, and Jay and for the rest of the listeners, I was up at, at Syracuse yesterday and they were so excited about getting their sixth win. I was visiting with my friend. He asked if he could buy 400 bull bound shirts and outfit his entire dome staff uh, during their next home game next week. Uh, against Notre Dame, the ticket takers, et cetera, in that shirt. So, so that's, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah. uh, looking forward to seeing that. Uh, another element to our partnership is the sustainability working group we've put together, which was a great idea by you guys. You've been working with a, about a half a dozen bowl games, helping them maximize their sustainability efforts in their venues on game day. Tell us why that's important and what you're trying to accomplish with that working group. Well, you, well, you know, this, this platform is really, is really perfect. Uh, to, for sustainability. Uh, you know, it's, it's the college community that really does get it. Uh, it's the college community that, that wants to do something about the environment. And, you know, uh, the bowl bound uh, program and the, these venues and events, uh, there's no better place to uh, promote recycling and uh, what recycling can do for you. There are gonna be a lot of water bottles, a lot of uh, soda bottles consumed in these venues. Um, there's a lot, a lot of recycled material in the stands and you might not, might not even know about it. And so when we can educate the fan base on what can happen when you choose to recycle, it just becomes more important. And what we've seen in our experiences is, is it's almost an aha moment. Uh, people can't believe that this water bottle, uh, who they think has no value and may think is dirty and trash, uh, can become a really cool, high quality uh, material uh, in the form of a shirt, or that can even be, uh, goes beyond that, it goes into footwear, goes into home and commercial furnishings, it goes into automotive end uses. Uh, it's almost uh, unlimited. Uh, wherever polyester is used, recycled polyester can be, can be used as well. And uh, we're just excited about that opportunity uh, to work with this fan base, to work with these venues uh, to promote the importance of recycling and uh, to get, to make people more aware. Well, I want to personally thank you both for our partnership. I think, I think we're really writing a great story here, the story of sustainability, uh, as well as celebrating one of the longest running traditions in American sports, which is bowl games. We like to say bowl season is a celebration of college football. Uh, I think this partnership is, is really a celebration of, of what a, a great idea and a great partnership coming together can, can do. So thank you so much for that. And thank you both for being on the show as well. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. 
And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com and on social media at bowl season. Thanks for listening.